Mind Gap Podcast. Welcome to Mind Gap Podcast. I'm Doug. I'm Justin, and we ain't wasting any time. We're going to get right into it. Doug, tell us who the fuck we're sitting with tonight. Oh, my God. So we have a very special guest joining us today. He is an author, a screenwriter, a composer, a musician, and most importantly, an educator. Uh, he is the author, or he's, he's the writer of a number one box office movie, The Marksman, Please welcome Danny Kravitz. Hi guys. <laughs> that was so also, Hi guys. Danny sounds sounds like he look he looks good. I sounds sound like he's looking good. good. I already fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> Danny, how are you? I'm really good. I'm really good. I'm I'm overtired. I'm in a great mood. I've been working too much, but I'm happy. I'm so happy. Good for you. You know, and and that's and that's. I guess that's the burden of writing, right? The thing that I've always been like, this would be fun to write something, and then I always stop myself, you know? So, you know, is, is that the truth of it? <laughs> you know, it, 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 there, there are other things in life that burden me much more. Illnesses, uh, relationship shit. Like, writing is easy for me. Writing is just like, give me a computer or a tablet or a piece of pen and a paper and just leave me alone and I'm happy. <laughs> it's the rest of life that's hard. Good for you. Because I always just get in my head whenever I've tried to write anything. I, I you know, we, gotta talk, we can talk about that. You know, of you, course, you, you know how to do. You teach this stuff. You're like, listen, yeah, I can break I can it down help for you. With you. That. Yeah. So, I can help you. if you can teach Doug how to get out of his own way, that would be phenomenal. Because Doug's got some incredible ideas, and he's just not. He's not brave enough to go there, and I think he needs to be. Yeah, That's I need really to. I need. I need. I need to sit down and commit myself to this to this program because uh, you know I'd like to do that at some point. So. <laughs> But uh, before we get started, you know, really diving into things, um, I kind of just did a, a quick run through. Please tell everyone a little bit about yourself. What's the what's the Danny Kravitz story? Uh, the Danny Kravitz story. Well, it's it's definitely not a tragedy. It's good. Good. And at times it, it felt like it, but it's not. It's a it's a survival story. No, um, I don't know. You know, right now we're promoting this book based on the movie. Um, I don't know. Ask me something specific. I'm so much okay. better at specific questions. <laughs> yeah, no, no, absolutely. So let's let's talk about um It's a love story. It's a, it's love, a love story. story. Yes. No, and and I've I've had the opportunity to read um uh, No, my my story is a love story. Oh, your story. Okay. Well, I've had to, you know, let's hey, roll with me here. I've read your story. I've read your life story. <laughs> your love story. Um but uh it's uh it, you know, what's I guess we could start with like how did you uh how did you get into writing? You know, what, what was, cause, cause I mean, we all had to write in school growing up, you know, things like yeah. that. And I've always kind of enjoyed exploring, you know, different things like that. But what, what made you gravitate to writing? I, I don't know what made me gravitate, but I can describe how I gravitated to it, which is like, you know, instead of paying attention in class, I was writing stories when it was time to go to college. The only classes I wanted to take were poetry and literature classes. Like I just got lost in story. My dad introduced me to books like Dune and stuff when I was really young but even before then I was writing songs and poetry just it was like an escape from 
your world kind of thing, create a better world kind of thing, I think for me. And it's never stopped. I love writing and creating and I'm, I'm just drawn to it like it's me. I don't know. It's cool. I'm glad. That's I, awesome. I love that you say that because for a long, 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 long time, and I'm not alone in this, but for a long time, I couldn't, I couldn't identify what it was that, that I gravitated towards. And it is, it is hell on earth when you're, when you're trying to figure out what it is that you want to do, what you're call it a, a calling or a, yes. you know, a, what you're meant to do, put on this earth for whatever you, yes. however you want to say it. Like if, until you figure that out, it can be just gut wrenching. And I, yeah, I just, what did you do? What were you, where were you, like, what path were you on as you were wrenching your guts? <laughs> I worked in retail for a long time, very long time. And then I just had a kind of a bunch of just menial, like uh, office jobs, still have a nine to five job, but you know, you pursuing this and filmmaking on the side yeah. has really, I'm like, okay, cool. If we can figure out how to spin this into something that's even remotely sustainable, then we're done with that other side of my other side of the life, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, it's you can't get away from it. Like I tried to work in advertising. I tried to do different things. I mean, you know, <laughs> thank God I'm starting to make a living at me being me because yeah, I can't do anything else. All the all the stuff that you were doing though, like was it like tangential to writing? Like with advertising, were you writing copy? Like you yeah. you were trying to you were you were orbiting that. You knew what you were orbiting. You just couldn't always, get there. Always, yeah. yeah. When I got out of college, I was like, all right, I'm going to be a rock star and I'm going to be a screenwriter. And so I started <laughs> doing both and realizing like maybe in 20 years it's going to happen. This could be really hard. This may never happen. I need to make money. Okay. So I'll be a waiter because I can wait tables at night and bartend at night and still do my writing. And then sure. after, you know, becoming a vampire, I was with vampire friends who are all drug addicts and alcoholics. I was like, okay, fuck this. I'm going to go work in advertising because all my other friends are in medical school and law school and have jobs and I need money. And so I'll be a creative in advertising. And I pretended to be like a normal person, like a corporate person. But I never in 15 years or 12 years of advertising, I never took a full-time job. I always freelanced because there was some part of my soul that was like, do not do it. Do not yeah. do it. And then I just kept, you know, <clears throat> doing, writing jingles and writing commercials and everything. But I was always, always had my eye on something bigger. The hardest thing is to listen to that too. When it, it like you've got that party that's pulling you to take that, take the sure thing get get some safety security and then to not listen to that and to keep pushing towards what you want that is that takes some fucking brass it, balls it, it, it did it does and it does and like the thing is now i'm starting to see a little success and i'm really wondering like if i hadn't had some success and made money and like you know like started to get some traction if i still would have the balls to keep doing this and the answer is like i i, I would do it i would do it but like it would be harder because yeah, at some point when you get to a certain age, you don't want to be poor forever. You don't mm. want to be, you don't want to feel, you're not a failure, but you think you are. It's weird. I don't oh, know. Yeah. It's weird. That's, Absolutely. that's, that's a, that's societal norms and capitalism. I hate to, I hate being this guy. I never thought I'd be this guy. I'm like, that's the world telling you what yeah, success Connie. is. You have to define your own success. Cause that's kind of how I've had a similar story with Justin. I, I have an extremely practical side of me. I also have an extremely uh, creative side and it's constantly, they're constantly doing battle. It's duel of the fates, lightsabers in my head all the time. And for the, yeah. I, the, the things I was most interested in, I, I loved musical stuff, right? Like just writing music and things like that, playing different things. I loved, I was intrigued by the idea of theater, but I never did it, you know? And so I just sort of like pushed that stuff down because I'm like, I got to do something practical. I got to do this. And then I didn't enjoy any of it. And when I met Justin, he was like, hey, man you should do uh you should do you should do improv and i was like okay 
And then I tried improv and I'm like, oh, I do this all the time. I play pretend all the time. And this is something people do. I'm like, uh, okay, I want to kind of head in this direction. That sort of like led me on this path of creativity where ultimately, you know, we started doing podcasts and I sort of unlocked this, this whole, this, this door that I just, just holding closed for some stupid reason, because I'm like, nah, I can't do that. That's not yeah, the way it's yeah. supposed and to then, be. And then you, and then you get out of bed in the morning and you're kind of like, Ooh, I got a couple things that I'm excited about. That's like, yeah. is, I think that's the key to all of it. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, I think yeah, it's I, great. And I think I it's hard you. to take that leap to be like, Oh yeah, this is what I got to well, do. Cause would, everyone's telling you don't do it. <laughs> At and, least and in my experience. When you're, it's harder when you're older. Cause a lot of my students college age but a lot of my students are also adults who like like us realize like oh fuck what am i done i got to do something else with my life and it's harder it's 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 like learning to ski when you're in your 40s you're like a little more scared and you're not as flexible and all that shit yeah oh absolutely yeah i get that's what i keep telling my wife is i I said it's not it's it's not like when it is what it is in your 20s where you can just like pull that ripcord and be like, cool, we're just going to give it a shot and see what the fuck happens. And if it doesn't work, I'll bartend. I'm like, no, I got a mortgage now. And I got, you know, there's all this, all this shit just keeps piling on. Just put more stuff in your backpack to carry around. And at the same time, you're also like, I'm also don't have all the time in the world when you're older. You're like, what am I? I mean, if I'm going to do this, I got to do it because before you know it, you're like, uh Oh, it's, it may be too late. So there's also this sense of urgency, but then you're bu- mired down by the the weight of your responsibilities. <laughs> you're like, what? What am I supposed to do? Which I think is what most midlife crises are. I mean, people are yeah. like, I'm, I've been doing this thing for 20 years. I'm in my 40s and I realize I don't like it anymore. But you're like, well, what do I do now? And it's a uh, oh, horrible I know. feeling. Yeah, I, I've never had it because I've always, and a lot of people I know go through it. I've always just struggle to do what I want to do. So my struggle has been less existential because I was always like, I'm doing what I want to do. I just can't make money at it yet. Yeah. Yeah. If you were, I'm going to ask you a pretty cliche question here. If you were say making lots of money and doing something like advertising where you're kind of exercising your creativity, would you do, what do you think versus where you, what you're doing right now? What would your happiness be like? Do you think you'd be miserable? I I hated it. I hated it. It, as soon as I had enough money to pay my bills, I was like, get me the fuck out of this place. Yeah. You know, I, I used to watch, like, I would feel the wind out through the window of my office, and, and I like to windsurf. And so, like, any time of day, if it was windy, I was like, I cannot be here. I got to go windsurf. And, like, and I was making great money, like, you know, 80 bucks an hour working wow. full time. Jeez. You know, as a creative, like, you can buy cool hip clothes, and everyone in advertising has the same whip shit hip shoes. It's like, I fucking hated it. I just hated it. it the creative work I liked very much, but yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it was fun. I had fun, but I, the idea that I got to go to another meeting, I got to go to a meeting. Yeah. What What are you talking playing about? Playing someone else's game. Yeah, you're exactly. You're playing someone else's game. I would never, I could, I hated it. That's interesting. And I made a lot of money. I walked away from a lot of money, but also, you know, there's no guarantees like advertising. I got hit like a couple times, like recessions happened and suddenly my advertising career was in jeopardy. And I realized like, you know what? There's no safety in anything. No. Point. Fuck it. If there's yeah. no safety if, in advertising. If it, yeah. If yeah. a client pulls their, their contract or something like that, half yeah. now, now half the, you know, that department gets laid off in the, in the ad yeah. company. Yeah. The only, the only safety is in working hard at getting good at something you're, you're potentially really good at. And if you're really potentially good at it and you work really hard, there's some safety in that. Yeah. Because your skills could be transferable to wherever yeah. you go. And especially yeah. if you have a skill like writing or, you know, I, I've, I, I 
Tinkle's not the word. Tinkle? No, Doug. Come on. I dabble. There it is. There we go. I went from tinker. tinker to That's what you were going tinker. for. Tinker. Yeah, I don't tinkle. I yeah, dabble huge, in the editing world. You know, huge difference between <laughs> tinkle and tinker. Giant. Look, here's the thing, though. Some tinkle people you, get you can make. For. You can make a lot of money with Tinkle, though. That's true. I mean, right OnlyFans. Hey, man, people make a lot of money by that, and I, and I say I good for them. I can't go there anymore. As a professor <laughs> and famous writer and all that, I can't say shit that's even close to controversial anymore because mm. I'm so afraid of getting canceled. And I caught one of my students who I love filming me the other day, and Ooh. I was like, "You little motherfucker, give me that phone right now! I'm checking everything. What are you doing?" Because I say inappropriate shit. Sure, you know. <laughs> It just happens. Yeah. yeah, nothing's appropriate today anymore. You can't, you no. can't be appropriate, you know, today. So yeah, like that's so you true. You try to be. You do. How long have you been teaching for? I've been teaching almost twenty years. Woo. Almost twenty years. So in that in that time, not to deviate from the writing conversation, but in that time, what is like what is this, the biggest thing? Because my sis, I got a lot of teachers in my family, and I I couldn't do it. I would I would straight up murder my students. But yes. like, what is the biggest thing that you've seen change in that time? Like, is it like the recording in the class? Like. What's the thing that you're just like, what the oh, fuck are we doing anymore? Oh, um, it, not much has changed. The, the, the pronoun thing was a bit of a revolution where suddenly kids are writing they instead of he, and I'm like okay. correcting it as if it was wrong grammar, and then I'm learning, oh, oh interesting. different pronouns. That was, gotcha. that was the most radical shift. Um, other than that, the kids are all the same every year. They're just creative and lovely, and, and they're just these kids who just decided to go to art school and take five jobs, and they're, they're pretty consistent. But, you know, and, and the, the causes, like the kids 20 years ago had slightly different causes than the ones today. Um, sure. So the social issues change a little, but they're pretty much the same. They're all really beautiful and hungry, hungry, hungry to do something creative. And they, have, they have balls because they're paying a lot of money to do it. Yes. Yeah. That's interesting that is fascinating. to me. Yeah. So what are you going to yeah, say, go Justin? Ahead. I wonder if we're going to say the same thing. I was going to no, say. No, it's, it's fascinating that that's the thing that stayed consistent. Like, yeah. like, so like everything else societally has shifted around, but like that drive yeah. and that, that the individual that is in the classroom, that mentality has stayed constant as, as you know, through the 20 years that you've been there. Yeah. And, and also what's kind of cool is like the movies have changed a little bit. So the movies I used to talk about when I taught 20 years ago, I don't talk about the same movies anymore because a lot of the kids, although most of these kids have seen every classic movie, including Casablanca, where you're like, holy shit, you've seen more than I have. Um, <laughs> You know, a lot of the stuff they're watching now is different. TV's a little different. So that that changes a little bit, too. But, you know, but because no one's making movies like Back to the Future right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But they still love all those old classic movies like Back to the Future, if, if you can call that an old classic. You I know? mean, you have to at I this point. You can, yeah. At our, at our age, we can call it an old yeah. classic. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it came out, what, what, the 80s? I mean, that's, uh, yeah, that's classic at this point. God. I just rewatched all, all three of those recently, and I was like... Brilliant. Man, these are still good. The first one definitely gives us off some weird vibes now where I'm like, oh, man, there's a lot of... With the mother? With yeah. the thing? Yeah. It's, yeah, that's, I wonder if we could do that. It was 85. That yeah, 85. Yeah, yeah. That, hey, we're approaching 40 years on that thing. That's wild. He, he is an improviser who would get on stage and do an inappropriate scene like that. I love that kind of comedy. Of course. I, I, you yeah. know, it's great. Classic. The guy's getting hit on by his mother who doesn't know that that she is his mother or else she wouldn't do it right I mean, well funny. also there's a plan his plan with his dad he's like all right i'm essentially going to get aggressive with my mom and then you're going to come in and punch me yes. and yeah. save it's, the day that was his plan i was like ah that's yeah, a weird that's, plan that's you know cringy, but you know still really clever 
I don't, well, I mean, it works out because Biff comes in and stuff like that. But I was, he's like, all right, here's my yeah, plan, you George. That today? Yeah. Oh, you gosh. Selling, you try selling that in Hollywood today? Yeah. Bad fucking chance. You wouldn't get anywhere. You'd get, you wouldn't ever work again if you pitched that to someone. No. Right. Well, I'd argue and the, the same thing they, with Goonies. The character Sloth? Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, there's no way Sloth would exist today. He's one of the most lovable yeah. characters from my I memory know. as a child. But if you're like, if you show that, people are going to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's this thing? Like, no way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was some bad shit that, like, wasn't bad for some reason. I don't know. I mean, it's it's also, you know, I, I don't I don't say this as an excuse, but it's also what was acceptable at the time. You know, that, yes, that doesn't that's excuse bad behavior or things like that. But that was the kind of stuff where, I mean, you look at early 2000s comedies. I mean, or I mean, the fact that talk most, about things they don't make anymore. No, like that. it's just the, 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 the gay communities and stuff like that. They were the butt of every joke. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. just like everything like that. They're like, ha ha. Isn't this funny because they exist? And it's like, <laughs> you watch those now. You're like, ah, no, I don't, I don't know if that, that didn't age well. <laughs> we yeah. talk about often movies that you couldn't make anymore. One of my favorites. And I think to me is probably one of the ultimate examples is blazing saddles. Mm. Oh my God. Like that's, you want to talk about a movie that would oh my never, God. and if it got, if it got greenlit, talk about getting canceled immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And thank God it was made because like, think about what blazing saddles, how many people that inspired and how much right. like it, it shifted movies yeah. and comedy. And you're right though. Like that was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that was crazy. See, I still go, I still go to those places. Like I'm writing a screenplay right now where I've cut the scene out of the screenplay already, but there was a scene where a guy had to like escape from a castle. It's kind of a, a action comedy. Mm-hmm. And a guy's got to escape from this evil castle. And the way he escaped initially in my, in my initial idea was that he, he agreed to clean all the shit out of this disgusting bathroom where people would shit all over the bathroom. Um, and he made a deal with the maid. He would clean the bathroom if she wouldn't tell on him because she sees him trying to escape. And that was originally going to be it. And then he was going to show up to his friends and they'd be like, how'd you get out? And then we we're going to flash back to him looking at this disgusting shit everywhere in, in the bathroom and being like, okay, I'll clean it. Don't tell anyone. And then I, I cut it because I know it's not going to work anymore. But like, yeah. I still, my yeah. brain still was all blazing saddles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes, yeah, you got to get that out there though. Like sometimes you just have to dump it out of your brain. You got to write it. We got to write even the, the best ideas, the worst ideas, get it out. So, you know. It's, re- it's really funny. That reminds me just on a tangent. So I wrote a script once with a buddy of mine. It's never been made, um, but it was quite good. And it, it got us like our first agents and our, our first stuff. And there was a scene, these these uh, casino, these these guys robbed a casino river boat, but they had to then take the boat and take everyone hostage, you know, because they got stuck on it. And at one point they locked the captain up in his, um, in like the captain's area. He, they like, you know, handcuff him, whatever. And they leave and then they come back and he shit himself because he's so like petrified of what's going on. Yeah. And we thought it was hilarious when we wrote it. And we went and saw a movie like that day. And that same exact scene like happened on the screen. We were like, oh, we better cut that out. Um, where like someone w- was locked in a, in a room and then the people walked back in and they were like, oh my God, what did you do in here? He's like, I'm yeah. sorry, I had to go diarrhea. <laughs> It's amazing. Listen, man, I we still have a, a soundboard still. We have a soundboard full of farts that we just dig out every now and then because yeah, it still to that. this day makes gotta me laugh. That. You know? Yeah. A one place fart yeah. kills at all levels, you know? It's the it best. Kills. Absolutely kills. kills. Speaking kills. of kills in movies, the marksman. Uh yeah. we, we had so good Chris this. Charles on here uh, a, a little while back talking about the marksman because I remember 
way back when, when Chris and I worked, you know, aeons ago, we, uh, he was originally telling me about this movie, The Marksman, and everything originally called, I think it was The Militiaman, I believe, or something like that. Oh, it was The Minuteman. The Minuteman, that's what it was. Yes, The Minuteman. And he took me through like, oh, we have an idea who we want to play the lead. I think originally Ed Harris was like the ideal person for it and all sorts of stuff. And I just hearing him talk about this and I was like, wow, this sounds really cool. And then cut to years later, he's like, yeah, man, we're making this movie and Liam Neeson's attached. And he's, I'm like, what? And I'm like, here I am seeing trailers. And then on all the streaming services, I see oh, the Marksman. Cool. I'm like, I, I saw this, you know, from the outside, like in its, in its progression. I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah, right. This is so cool. And then yeah, right. now you are doing a writing, a, it's about to be released a novelization of the movie, the Marksman. Yeah. How, I, I, I'm, I'm just blown away by yeah. how cool this is and how cool it does not suck it's like it, you know you hope when you have some success when you dream about success as like a rock star or a writer or something like you you hope it'll be cool and then you watch the vh1 behind the scenes and you realize like oh my god their lives were terrible no no it's really cool like it, it, it's I, i've been on i've been on cloud nine for like three straight years now and it just keeps going um it's so fun and like i remember the moment where uh, Chris called me and said, like, hey, I got this idea for a script. And he told it to me. And I remember where I was sitting at Columbia College. And I go, ugh, it, it sounds terrible. He was like, <laughs> like, yeah, there's these racist bastards that live on the border. And they have their, their telescopes and their, their magnifying glasses. And they, they look for illegal immigrants to bust them and report them to the border patrol. And I said, ugh. And then he sent me a video. And, and, and he was like, you know, check out the video. Which he's always making me, he's always making me watch things. He's always like, you should watch this, you should watch this. That's Chris's line to me always. You should watch this. It's like, Chris, I'll watch what I fucking want to watch. And, 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 and he sends me this video and it's awful. The guy is like really reprehensible, like guy who's like racist and awful. And I said, this is the worst fucking thing ever. Like, we're never talking again. And I hung up the phone and then I sat down and for five minutes I sketched out a story about a guy who was reprehensible, but then became like good by helping someone, and the reason he was reprehensible was because of, like, really deep grief, because he, he's lost his wife in a murder, but he really, it was, a, it was a, you know, a redemption story, and I wrote the whole thing, and sketched the whole thing out in about 15 minutes, and called him back, and I said, okay, I think maybe, I think maybe we can do this. Now, I hope he doesn't watch this, because I've never told this story before quite that way. Okay. I always generously make sure to give Chris as much credit as I take for coming up with all the story, but I, there is a universe where I wrote all of the bones of that in 15 minutes before we got to work on it, you know? That's there, hilarious. There, there's a universe where Chris's role is diminished a bit. <laughs> well, I think it's fascinating because I love being inspired by things like that. You see things that I don't have, you know, your skills and where I could be like, oh, I could sketch something out and then you can then put it to work and, and go to it. But I see stuff all the time where I will see a character arc or I'll see a moment and it really, really resonates with me, you know, and it's like I just recently I, I haven't read the book, but I'm familiar with it. But Ender's Game, you know, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, the the movie, eh, it's a so-so movie. All right? I, I know the adaptation was rough. They didn't quite get everything, but I still the big turn at the end. I don't want to spoil it for anyone, mm. whatever. But there's 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 a powerful moment with Harrison Ford. And I think it's Asia Butterfield is is the character that plays uh, the actor that plays uh, Ender. And there's a wonderful just tragic realization that happens that moment always gets me because I am just picturing like this is a child who has been asked to do this thing 
And he did yes. this thing thinking it was under different pretenses and he's crushed by it. And he's having this yes. amazing argument with Harrison Ford, who's also getting in his face, like trying to project his morality onto this child. And they're just going back and forth. And every single time it gets me and I'm like, God damn, like that is what a great moment that someone was able to take in this sci-fi kind of, yeah. I wouldn't say wackadoo, but there's a lot of shit going on. But like throughout all of that, you have this very human story about morality yes. and the pressures of society and what does it mean to be good and evil and here's a child that's dealing with it and it breaks my heart every time I watch it. Yes. Yeah, and my guess is that they stumbled upon that after coming up with the idea because if they'd started with that idea, it'd be really hard to retrofit a story around that. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes writers, people come to me and like they have a great twist before they even have a story. I, I bet you Ender's Game, I would love to find out if I'm right. Mm -hmm. I bet you they stumbled on that and were like, holy shit. This I is bet. gonna be the coolest twist at the end. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like I because you know, we don't wanna, you know, I'm not knocking him, but you know, Michael Bay's like, I got this cool explosion. How can we build a movie around this explosion? You know, that's yeah. that's the joke with it. You know, maybe that's a cheap shot, like <laughs> making fun of Nickelback. But no, there's, you know. some, there's something to that though. There's something to that. I, sure. I I mean, you gotta entertain people and like like the marksman, you could say like it's a it's a it's this human story that no one would give a shit about if people weren't chasing each other with guns, you know. It's true. And I, honestly I think what's also I think what's great about the marksman is it was a very important story back when Chris shared that you know the new story yes. about it and it's even more important today like it yes. has existed honestly I wish it didn't exist I wish it wasn't as important <laughs> today for better or worse it has a timeless quality yes, to it I kind of yes. wish we was like no we solved that this movie you know doesn't have as much it'll never pertinence. be solved the immigrant yeah. problem will never be solved and you know uh, so so there's so many cool rewarding things people thought it was like like a taken movie mm -hmm. like you know Liam Neeson just kicking ass <laughs> and then they saw it and they realized like this is really profound it's like trying to just you know look at really profound I issues and when I first met Liam Neeson uh on the set he, I sat down next to him we started talking and he, he went into like this whole soliloquy about immigration and how important the issues are to him and what it's like to be an immigrant for anyone and people from all over the world have written to us saying like you just told my story wow and I, I remember one woman just coming up to me and going thank you and I was like for what for what like I was at a restaurant she just goes thank you I didn't know she knew who I was and she goes thank you and I was like what did I do and she wrote that movie you wrote that movie. Thank you. And then we talked a little bit about what she appreciated about the immigrant story in it. But yeah, that's incredible. That's yeah, it was, that, and that shit goes. That shit keeps on giving. That it, like yeah. that's what feels so good. Like it's not the money. Like we haven't made much money. We've made some money, but you know, it, it's it's like I get chills when I think about like people crying in the theater in front of me. And my girlfriend going like, "Yo, dude, check check her out. She's weeping. She's yeah. weeping." I was like, "That's what I." She's that's like, you did I that. Swept. You yeah. did that to them. Like that. Well, yeah. What as does that feel like? As someone who creates, that's what you. That's that's what the you, ultimate. That's what you'd go for. You want you to for. invoke an emotion, that's good, bad, go otherwise. Like I want. I want you to feel. You're trying to move yourself when you're creating it, and then you're hoping you'll move other people when they see it. What well said, does yeah. that feel like? Watching <laughs> other feels, people feel. It's it's a it's like a um, non sexual. Um, orgasm. It's like a um, like a spiritual orgasm. It's like you you explode with happy, joyful feelings. Sure. And I mean, it really, truly is because yeah. like, you know, like I saw the movie in the theater a couple times and people clapped. And 
and at certain points and cried at certain points and it just warms you and it lasts for days. It's like this high where it's like, wow, there's something about the world that I believe that makes me feel safe or um, loved or something. And I, another human being, it resonated with another human being. And like, that's it. That's it. That's all I ever want to do. Just feel loved and safe and have other people feel the same way. It, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. That's why like the, the work I do, like all my stories tend to have some of that like heart in it. I couldn't do a Michael Bay pure up, just fun thing. Cause I, I need to get moved too. Like I need to be crying and all that stuff. That's, that's amazing. So another question, like part of the thing I get in my way, get in my head with too, is also the fear. The fear Classes of like, session. I'm good. <laughs> You're like, Doug, come on. He's, you know, Doug, is he about, you, is he you, about you, to go off on you can, you can bill me for this later. Um, but like the, the fear of like, <laughs> I, I, I'm afraid of being vulnerable in that sense of oh, like, I'll yeah. be stupid on stage for comedy. I have no problem with that. I, I'll, I'll be the Let butt me. of the joke. But to take something, an idea that I have, I've crafted and put out there for someone to look at and be like, that's dumb. And I'm like, they're right. It is dumb. You know, Dude, like you're not, you're not alone there. I had to push through so much fear. I had crazy OCD type fear, like, like along this journey where I just was like, Oh my God, the best thing that ever happened to me is I had a hit movie. It got good reviews and bad reviews. And I saw that the whole thing doesn't mean shit to anything. And I can get over all this deep, deep fear of success and deep fear of like, Oh my God, putting myself out there and being vulnerable. It's all totally tolerable. And until you do it, it's fucking terrifying. Like, seriously, I would yeah. call people and tell them the wackiest fears. Like, I don't even want to embarrass myself by sharing them. Like, you know, and, and they'd be like, yeah, you're just nervous about this or the other thing. And, you know, like, it's, yeah, it's, it's really scary. And it's the most gratifying thing in the world to show the world who you are. Open up your heart and show them who you are and have them embrace you. It's the most wonderful thing in the world. And I feel bad for Taylor Swift when her fans turned on her because that must mm. have also felt really rough because what she's been basking in is this like sharing her heart and soul with people and having them say, I love you for that. I love you for who you are. That's basically what we're doing as artists. Yeah. 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 yeah so man. go, so, so keep going Yeah. And push through that fear and just call me. Be like, Danny, I'm having this weird OCD thought. I'd be like, welcome to my life. And you're like, all right, let's talk about it. I'm going to tell you to, just, just so you know, I'm going to tell you how the story ends. I'm going to tell you to keep going. So figure, yeah, get it out, but also keep going. keep going. Keep going. Figure out a way to keep push going. And it all, and it all goes away. It yeah. all goes away. I haven't, I haven't had fear much. I'm like thinking of putting out another album, and I literally think to myself lately, because I work on music too, I've been literally thinking to myself, like, I'm going to show the whole fucking world that I'm the greatest singer-songwriter there ever was. And these are the crazy thoughts that I have where 10 years ago or 20 years ago, I put out an album, and then I hid from the world, and I was afraid to, like, share it with anyone, you know? Sure. But, like, I, this marksman experience, it just showed me that everyone's just kind of trying to make their way through life, and no one's good, no one's bad, and just do your thing and have fun, and people generally respond well. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful it, sentiment. It really is. And I think there's more people than not, I think, recognize the fact how hard it is to put something out, too. So you, I think you're getting a lot of, a lot of you know, there's always going to be the people who shit on everything and said, ah, it could be better. It could be this, that, or the other thing. But I think there's a lot of people that respect the fact that this person took the time to put something out into the world, manifested yeah. it, and now I'm watching it. Like, that yeah. alone is is an accomplishment. And you, I'd like to wish think that, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Finish your thought. That was it. I was just going to say, I'd like to think that there's more people than not that give credit for that. I would love to think that. that. I would love to think that. I unfortunately am cynical. I think there's <laughs> not as many people that do that. A lot of people are really fucking critical and really fucking unhappy, and they don't 
you know, you read some of the reviews of your work and you think to yourself, like, this is not a review of my work. This is a review of this person's life. Yes. Like, that's it, you, interesting. You know, yeah. and, and it's like, the, so I love what you're talking about. The people who, who just, and I'm like this now, like, you just appreciate what it takes to actually get up in the morning and strive to create something yeah. to move people. It's like, and then to struggle your whole life, half your adult life to try to make it happen. It's like, man, I would give, I could never knock a movie ever. Because I yeah. know what it takes to make one. Well, that's the, the fact, thing. The, yes, the fact yes. that movies get made is a goddamn miracle. <laughs> miracle. It's a yeah, miracle. Like, and I, there's a lot of oh, art pain. We've had a movie that's been in production hell for, it's coming up on a year and a half now, and we just oh. can't get past a certain point on it. We're just, <laughs> yeah. but again, it's just, you, you keep pushing, but people don't understand how fucking, it's a slog no. for hearts. No, they're going to be like, that scene wasn't funny. It's like, fuck, that scene wasn't funny. Fuck you. Like, like my whole, I just put 10 years of my life into this thing. Who right. cares if it was funny or not? But on some level, you got to satisfy those people too. And that's what separates sure. the amateurs from the professionals. Yeah. You, you say to yourself, like, you know what? I, I have to, like, I have to satisfy the knucklehead idiots who need me to have a better day than they would have had if they didn't see my work. And I can't make them have a worse day by making them feel like they wasted their money on my book or my, right. on my movie. You mm -hmm. know, it's a cool responsibility. But yeah. I'm up for it now. I'm up for it to me. Well, you, you're in a unique position because you have put stuff out there that people have consumed in a in a very broad sense. Uh, and you said that you had read some of the good, some of the bad reviews. How how do you deal with the bad reviews? Because that I've heard a lot of people are like, I don't read any reviews. Yeah, I, can't I read them all. It. Yeah, I read them all. I read them all. And initially, I was very surprised. I've always had this bizarre optimism like the first script i wrote i was convinced i was like psychotic i was convinced it was gonna win an oscar and i remember when i got it to someone at fox and and they said yeah we're not gonna pass this on to our boss because we don't think it's good enough and i just thought oh my god they must be delusional people i was the delusional one i really i always overshot like my confidence was always way overshot so when, when the marksman came out you still have doubts. You you have doubts until you, you do it on the big stage. You always have doubts about yourself. Are, am I really talented? I just don't know. And then the marketing came out and I read the good reviews and I read the bad reviews and I realized, oh my God, none, none of the bad reviews, these people know anything what they're talking about. And the good reviews, some of them know what they're talking about and some of them are putting a little extra into it. But I saw everything very clearly and suddenly I was like, I know exactly how good I am and exactly how not good I am. And no, no one's opinion will ever affect that. And now I like I know that like I know that I am absolutely I know exactly where I stand. I have no doubts about how good or bad I am at anything. I know it, and I know I keep getting better. But like it was it was like a cauldron of pain to read those first reviews <laughs> and 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 like think it mattered. But now I love it because that's because interesting. You realize like the people who write bad reviews are generally nincompoops. Yeah, unless, unless you did bad work. If you did bad work, but even then, there's always something you can find good about it. So it's. It's like it's like being at the dinner table at Thanksgiving and, and you're asking the opinion of something from the most miserable family member you have. That's the movie that's the movie critic. And you're asking like, you say. And that's the dude that, that that is responsible for judging your work. It's like yeah. you gotta get good enough. You gotta get good enough at what you do that you know who's good and who's bad and where you yeah. sit in that spectrum. As you're reading it, you're like, if I see the word derivative, I'm done because you're just pomp. You're a pompous reviewer now. It's disappointing. You want you want quality out of these reviewers. It's disappointing. <laughs> you like you realize they're just amateur at what they do. Like, yeah. Give me a great review. There was a guy named Kahir, something or other, for the Irish, Irish Times or something. He wrote a review of The Marksman, and it was like this movie changed his life. Like, I, he he saw more into in the movie than I actually did. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, he, everything I wanted to do in that movie, 
it, he read it and, and he wrote about it a couple times in these crazy awesome reviews that made me weep. But like, you know, that, that, guy, that's, that guy's serious about what he's doing. He's not like snarking people just to sell things. He's like, he, he bore his soul in that review. He's very Irish. It was very Irish. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that there's a lot of people that, do, like, to your point, make <clears throat> they almost make their living off of the drama, right? Yes. Like they're like, let me if I go super negative, it's gonna get people to read this. Like it, it, it's the same, uh, it's the yes. same effect reality TV has on us. The worst, the worst that we can bring out, the the more pain we can put out into the world, the more people are gonna take a look at what what we have to say i think it's also really important for some people to realize that not every movie was made for them and not every piece of media was made for them and that you can watch it and be like hey that's not for me still got some quality to it i'm a a i'm a gamer i'm a big into Baldur's gate 3 right now which is just consuming my life it's a phenomenal game and there was someone on a website who wrote like meh I find the the battle to be tedious and I find this is just like, and it's like, oh, so what you're saying is this is not a game it's for you. It's not for you. Yeah. It's not for you. It's not for you at all. Like, because <laughs> yeah. across the board, most people are like, this is the best game ever made, you know, and, exactly and it's fine. Right. You don't have to, you don't have to enjoy it all. Like I yeah, recently I went would- back and rewatched a lot of the DC movies. I'm more of a Marvel guy and I rewatched it. I, I started from Man of Steel. I went all the way through. I rewatched the Justice League, uh, the Zack Snyder version. I watched it all. I watched Aquaman for the first time. And I was just like, I, I had more of an appreciation for it because I'm like, I think these movies come up short, but there's something good in there. I can see it. I can yeah, see and, the and stuff that was that. there and I can appreciate it. You get that when you're a teacher or an, or an uncle or a parent, you start <laughs> to realize that it's the human being who's in front of you that's more important than your stupid opinion. So you, you look, so you look for the good, and there's always yeah. good. Yes. Even if the even if the craft isn't that developed, there's always something of unbelievably great value in people's creativity that you gotta yeah. honor. And and that's yeah, I got that from teaching really. Yeah, no, that's a good. That's point. A, that's another beautiful sentiment. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh there's a a good a great human in our uh, in our podcast community named Jared. This guy just loves like just watching stuff. And I've tried so hard. I'm like, I need to be more like Jared who Jared's just like, I just want to watch this. And he's just like, yeah, I liked it. It was fun. Yeah. I got to watch this thing. He's just like so happy. Oh, I love Jared. To be consuming. Nice. Yeah. He's the that's best. Also, that's also reflects Jared's probably happy in those moments, you know, because yeah. I can do that too. And then when I'm unhappy, if there's hard things going on in my life, they're really great quality stuff. I can't even tolerate it because I just need to lay down and close right. my eyes. Exactly. Cause that's another thing too. What's your state of mind when you're consuming yep. this? You know, are you, yep. is this, is the content too hit too close to home? So it, it, you can't step outside of it or are you just in a bad mood? So you need something, you know, extraordinary to pull you yeah. out of it. And that can affect. And that's why I like to go back and rewatch stuff because I'm like, yeah, what was I like when I watched this? I didn't like it. And sometimes I'm like, I was right the first time still didn't enjoy it this time. But other times yeah. I'm like, I can go back and glean. I'm like, you know what? There's, there's some stuff in there that I was just, I think I was in a grumpy state or maybe I was just looking for all the problems. And so yeah. that was kind of my sure. headspace. And, and, and I try to, I try to give things, I was way much more of an asshole, you know, 10, 15 years ago where I was like, nah, this isn't what I want to be. Nah. And I was just a real dickhead about it. Um, I'm yeah, trying, to, I'm trying to be better about it. The word dick is important there. I think because, <laughs> because yeah, like when we're being, when we're having that attitude toward other people's work, it's just little baby, little, the little baby in us whining about something we're pissed off about. Really? They're, 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 so the book is coming out. We like, 
we the reviews for the book started the same way as the marksman but they started much better the marksman reviews initially there, there were a couple that were good, but a couple were really nasty. Mm-hmm. And, but the book, the book reviews are great. But some of the ones that I'm reading, the book reviewers are saying stupid shit. Like, this fucking book, why did they kill this? And, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, and it just pissed me off that, like, that, uh, like, what did they say? Like, it just pissed me off that, like, um, you know, that, that a woman had to be depicted a certain way. Like, just stuff that, like, okay, yeah. And then you get these reviews... And I have one in front of me that oh, I'm going to read part of to do you. Do it. Let's do it. Okay. That you, you have these reviews where you're like, yeah, 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 exactly. You're brilliant. You're brilliant. You knew exactly what I was trying to say. And you knew exactly what I was trying to do. You're the only voice that matters. Yes. Thank you. So I'm going to read, I'm going to read one of those, right? So I just sent this text to a girl that I like a lot. And I told her, I wrote, I try not to take my film book review seriously, unless, of course, they're accurate and 100% uh, awesome. Uh, or, or awesome and 100% accurate. In those cases, I feel the need to share them with people who matter to me. This is a girl who I'm, I'm uh, courting right now. Nice. Yeah, I thought that added touch at the end. This is very, very good. Yeah. Well yeah. yeah. Okay, so check this out. You should this write. Is the, this is the review. <laughs> this is the review. I hope. I thank you guys for ahead of time for letting me do this. Okay, the novel The Marksman hooked me from page one and never let go. It's a true page turner, but not your ordinary fast-paced thriller. Yes. It rips along and bristles with action and conflict from start to finish, but it also teems with strong realistic characterization and the best of all to me, heart and humanity. Beneath this riveting story is the real life impact of life choices, those we make, those made for us, and how we manage to live with the consequences. Even the bad guys who are sincerely frightening have their own stories. It's a contemporary tale providing a multi-layered look at the extremely complicated world of cartels and border control and human beings desperately fighting for their lives, love, death, loss, and honor, all rolled up in a crackling pot. I was mightily impressed by the writing itself. It's excellent. The authors use crisp, concise language and even take clever creative license with non-conventional sentence structure in order to effectively reinforce the pace and urgency. And yet, I would call the writing eloquent. The short clip sentences are somehow packed with vivid imagery and piercing sensory detail that had me marveling throughout. The story is full of passion and pathos and heart and humanity. And when I got to the end with a lump in my throat, I thought, this is a beautiful book. So, yeah. yeah. And, and so I can tell you right now, like, I, I will be high from reading that to you guys for like yeah. three hours. Can, can I say something? As well I, as you should I, I've read the, the book that you so kindly yeah. shared with me. I agree with that. That's this is a terrible like ditto, but the things that stand out to me um, are like one of Justin knows this. The community knows this. I enjoy a villain that I can understand. Yes. One of the, I have a seven year old daughter and I have to put up with some of her bullshit kid shows. <laughs> and she where, is a villain where and she right, is the worst. villain. No, she watches these <laughs> shitty shows that are like, well, how do we explain to a child that this is the bad guy? And it's like, I'm a bad guy. <laughs> and it's the worst thing because I'm like, ah, this is this is not real life. The villains yeah. are complicated. Yeah. They're complex. They are. One of my favorite ones is Magneto. From yes. like X Men and like how he's depicted in like X Men right. First Class, where you're like, there's a reason why he doesn't like humans, and there's a yes. reason why he's like, I'm going to do my best for what's best for mutants because I've I survived the Holocaust, so right. humans are bad. Right. And how about to, Hannibal Lecter? Right, Hannibal Lecter. When we learned in the third book why he was who he was, because his parents were murdered viciously and his sister was murdered viciously, and he was forced to eat them. Like, oh. 
suddenly it all made sense, and I felt really bad for Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Which, <laughs> right. by the way, just rewatched uh, uh, both Hannibal and Silence of the Lambs like yesterday. So Ugh, this is so good. So great. Good. So great. This is good but going back to you, like the, the villain in the story, you do a fantastic job of like giving insight into this character to the point where I'm also the same. I'm in the same boat where I'm like. Yeah, I mean, he's doing bad shit, but, uh, you know, yeah, kind of... Like what made him. Yeah, exactly. Like, what made him, like, which while is, I... Which is, which, yeah. Isn't that the truth of life, though? Mm-hmm. Like, most people are not born evil. Most people are made... Most people right. who do shitty things are came out of the womb smiling, hoping they have a good life. Yeah. yeah. And then they just got fucked with and fucked with and fucked with until they twisted up and became awful. And it's yeah. sad, and it's not fair. And I believe that, you know, maybe every now and then there's like a psychopath who just comes out with weird wiring. But sure. for the most part, no one tries to hurt anyone. And, you know, they're just taught that shit. So that's yeah. all my villains are like that. They're I all like, yeah, that's a, a great approach to writing a writing a villain. That's a yeah. phenomenal approach to it. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that stuff because I think, in my opinion, a good villain is someone that we can see in ourselves where we're like, yeah. Uh, certain different changes in my life. You know, maybe I could have been Darth Vader. I don't know. Like, you know, it's just one of those things where you you can understand to a certain degree how someone got there and you're like, I don't ever want to be that person. I don't ever want to be that. I don't want that to be me, but I get where they're coming from and that makes them that much more interesting. And I find that fascinating. So we have to acknowledge for a second that I literally just read a review of my own work on the radio shamelessly on your podcast and, and I'm like basking in it and I, but I don't feel like I just I, like that to me is the book. Like, I think that was accurate and like, and I don't mind sharing that stuff. You but shouldn't. I am also just want to say like, I'm slightly embarrassed too. I just want to say that even though I'm not really, but I just want to say it <laughs> because it's, it's a little not classy to do what I just did, but I had to do it. Well, I, Look, I, I appreciate you sharing that because yeah. I think it's important. We talked about this before we started rolling, but you have to be your own advocate in this sort of stuff. You do. And you do. Yeah. it's really important. And also you fucking wrote a script for a movie that got made and then you wrote a book yeah, about exactly. the movie. The you did that. How many other, yeah. like not everyone has done that. And, and yeah. people have read that and they said, I liked it. We should celebrate that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not only, exactly. That's exactly right. And not only that, everything that she wrote about that is what we tried to do. We didn't just go out there and try to make money. We tried to write something moving and beautiful and heart wrenching. And yeah, I mean, we, we tried to do something for people when we did this work and we didn't get paid for, you know, ever <laughs> for, for doing the work. <laughs> We just showed up to do it. So, yeah, we deserve to bask in something. Yeah. I want to I ask you about the process real quick because yeah. you, Doug brought up, you know, take, taking that and novelizing it. So how – what is the – because I was fascinated when I, when I when Doug said that we were having you on and, and what you had done. I it was I stopped, stopped to think because you always hear the book come out and then the movie yes. version of the book. Very rarely do you see it go the opposite way. So how – how do you take, because I couldn't wrap my head around it, how do you take a movie, which there's a script, and then it's also committed to film. So, you know, in a way it's been, you know, you wrote it and then you saw it. How do you take that and make it different enough in a novel? Like, what is the approach to so, retelling the story almost a third time? Yeah, so so the approach is that while you're writing the movie, you're, you, you always have in your head, like, wow, there's so much more detail that I can't include. There's so much more backstory. There's so much history. There's so many uh, memories. There's, there's so many detours that I can't take in a 90-minute film that has to be really linear and, and, and can't go off on tangents. But you know all these stories and you know all this stuff about these characters. And so then you start to fantasize about like, well, if I could tell this story, 
um, you know, how would I tell it? Oh, I'd go back into the past and, 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 and find out how the cartel assassin became a, a bad dude and suppressed his humanity in order to, to save, you know, another human being. And, and like, oh, I want to write about that. And then, so it's actually really easy. All you do is take the movie and you outline it and then you just pick the spots where you're going to go into the past or you're going to just go out on a tangent and you say, okay, let's make a space there for that. Let's make a space there for that. And you just figure out all the things you wanted to always have the people know about, but you couldn't put in the movie because there wasn't room for it. And then you invent some other stuff too, because it's a book and you're like, oh, I can create some new things too. But yeah. I always wanted to, I, I, I always wanted to write it as a book because I was afraid it would never get made as a movie. So I oh, kept, interesting. yeah. So I was like, I'm going to write this as a book. Some one way or another, this fucking story is going to make it out into the world. And then when it was made into a movie, I kept the literary rights because I was like, you know, I've written a few chapters of this just as an exercise, and I think it could be good. And they, the, the, the studio was like, you want the literary rights? Like, have at it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Who, who, who That's reads brilliant. books like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I was like dead serious. Like, no, I'm going to write the greatest book that I could ever write. And, that's, That's awesome. some forethought right there or some foresight. Yeah. For also, gotta, I got to tell you, my wife is a big book nerd. She's huge, reads just, I think she's read 90 books so far this year. When she's like, I told her, I was like, yeah, I've got, uh, you know, I've got this advanced copy. She's like, ooh, yeah. what do you got? I'm like, oh, it's just yeah. this thing. She called it by an acronym, an ARC, advanced reader copy, whatever. She's like, how's that ARC coming? I'm like, the what? The arc, the arc reactor like what are you referring to i'm like what and she, she was like super like ooh. so to respond to the people like who reads books my wife does she reads a women. lot of them and she was very Everyone jealous reads books. you but know women and when you become an author you find out that women are a huge demographic like, yes they're, they're the readers and if you go on tiktok and like check out like the community of book talkers and they people who, whose religion is books mm -hmm. god bless them Right. I mean, that's just, yeah, I, uh, I, I have to unfortunately admit, like I don't read as much, but when I find something, I'm in it, I'm locked yeah. in. I, oh, yeah. I, I'm furiously reading stuff, but it takes a lot for me to get going into something it's to so, find something. Yeah. It's so hard for me because I don't like a lot. Like when mm -hmm. I was younger and I wasn't as good of a writer, I loved everything. Mm -hmm. And as I became a better writer, I became a little more critical. So now it's like, I, I like reading biographies because they don't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be well written. It's a fucking true story. Elton John's story is interesting to me, you know, but it's so rare for me to find like, and I know there are blue, beautiful books being written every day. I just, I can't find them the way I used to as a kid yeah. when, you know, the school or the college was just handing me one gorgeous book after another. Yeah. It's a fair point. Do you think, is that a little bit of, uh, do you think, um, oh God, I just blanked on words. Um, Are you going to say has, tinkle like, job, instead of tinker? Job hazard. Yeah, it is a job hazard because yeah. when you get really good at something, you notice when someone else is doing it not at quite a great level and you love them for it and you, everything else, but it's not working for you. It's, sure. it's just like, yeah, I, I, I was there 20 years ago and I see through all of that. There's a famous cinematographer who talked about that. He, how he walks out of like 90% of the movies he sees wow. because as soon as they start, he sees things that just aesthetically bug him or choices with lenses that just bug him and he's like, sure. I can't. It's just too distracting. The the people who worked on this just weren't good enough at their craft to keep my attention, and that happens. That's interesting. It's it's a cool price to pay. I mean, I'd rather be really great at something and be critical of other people than yeah. the opposite. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, but no, it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true, and it's it's cool because it means you're really growing as an artist. That's, yeah, that's a really that's a fair point too. Yeah. And then you see, and then actually, then you see greatness in things that people don't even think are good. Yeah. And then you're like, ooh, I see something now that some people can't even see. Yeah.
Yeah. Well, I uh, as as we're kind of getting towards the end here, I want to hop to. I don't think we're gonna have time to talk about the writer strike as much as I would, but I would love kind of keeping in the theme with uh, writing. Um, I love the idea of tropes in movies and TV shows and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, and also just the idea of original and creative things that as you go, it's like kind of talking also about like, you know, you've gotten to be an expert in your field. Have you seen any movies or TV shows where you've seen something very unique from a story perspective? And also, are there tropes that you see in movies and TV shows that you wish you could just bury under the prison for the rest of your life? Because you don't want to see them. Yeah. So, so first question, are there cool TV shows or movies that I've seen? I think one of the most revolutionary things in TV was Breaking Bad because it literally took a character and um, and and took him from, as as the creator said, Mr. Chips to Scarface. Like in TV, characters yeah. characters are generally consistent. And that's what people tune in for. And this character literally changed from a really good depressed guy to a really nasty, not depressed guy. Um, no one had ever done that in TV before. And 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 when you realize that's what the show was trying to do. Um, you realize how revolutionary it was. And then it was also just really well acted and well written and, and everything else. So that, that show grabbed me. Homeland is another one that grabbed hmm. me and never let go. I, I watched Homeland the whole series like multiple times. And uh, I just love the acting and the writing and the spy stuff. It's fucking cool. That's and awesome. then there's, there, there, there's, there's a, a favorite movie. My dad and I watch this every time we're together. We've seen it at least 40 times. We've been doing this for 20 years or 10 years, as long as it's been out. Every time we're together, we say, let's watch it again. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which is ah. a novel written by John Le Carre. And we both loved that when we were younger and he introduced me to it. And then we watched the movie. It's the, it's the best movie I've ever seen. Really? And, and yeah. Yeah. It, it, it blows The Godfather away because we watched it the other night. And then we were like, what should we watch tonight? Let's watch The Godfather. I mean, The Godfather is the best ever. We were like, yeah, not as good as Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. And, 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 and for me, what it's about is, first of all, it's very subtle. And, and you got to kind of see it 18 times to understand it. And you need to read the book, too. But the cinematographer or the director told the composer, I just read this, the director told the composer that this isn't a story about spy shit. This is a story about a bunch of really sensitive human beings that got caught up in their duty and their souls got crushed for it. Mm. And the composer wrote the music with that in mind. And that's how, and then I was like, oh, my God, that's why I love this movie, because it's not about the spy stuff. It's about the tears and it's about the, wow. the commitment to your duty. And it's about the loss. And and, um, and that composer, by the fantastic. way, also did the music for uh, Constant Gardner. And if you and he want to ask her for that music. And and that Constant Gardner is another John Le Carre movie. Just heartbreakingly beautiful. That shit, that's what I like. That's my weird answer. See, I watched Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and I was like, that was a movie. Don't remember it. It didn't have that impact on me. I want to go back and rewatch that Read through it. the right lens. Read it and then watch it. I would love to, I would Ooh, love to okay. say I would do that. Danny, I would love <laughs> to I would, I would love to promise that to you, but I'm probably gonna watch it first and then maybe yeah. I'll get yeah, to the reading. I, but you know like, I think Doug is nothing if not honest. The original Dune. I love the original Dune movie because I loved the book. So yes. you couldn't you couldn't do wrong. And people who hadn't read the book were like, This is the campiest, goopiest movie. <laughs> right. And I was like, No, this is brilliant because I already had it in my fucking head. What did you think about the the new Dune so far? Like I, 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 I liked it, but it, to me it wasn't as good because it was so stylized mm -hmm. and so cool. It was like just so cool <laughs> that like it, 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 it missed some of the subtleties of the novel. It, and it was cool. It yeah. was. 
But yeah. the, the first movie didn't take itself so seriously as to not embarrass mm. itself, and uh -huh. therefore it felt more authentic to me. This one, like, there was not a moment that wasn't super cool. And <laughs> even the way they talk to each other, and look at me, I'm bashing another person's work. Um, <laughs> so it wasn't for me as entertaining because um, it, it, it was too aware of itself. Interesting. And, and the first one was not embarrassed to be whatever it was. Sure. And I, right. I appreciated that. Now, that said, it was fucking brilliant, and I loved it, and it's incredible. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But for my taste, the first one was actually a little more interesting. I love that. I, that's beautiful. I love that, yeah. That's fascinating. All right. What, what are some Does tropes? Have... What's up? Okay, so I thought about this trope question. I hear this term so often. I'm a college professor, and I don't even think I understand what a trope really is. So I was going to throw this back at you and sure. say, like, Tell me some tropes, and then I'll tell you if I like them or not. Because I, I think I'm going to answer the question wrong. Gotcha. So tropes are kind of like, it's almost like a pattern of um, whether it's plot or characters, or it's something that you just see on a regular basis. It's kind of like uh, just a common occurrence that happens. Like, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. Like, are you familiar with the Wilhelm scream? Yes. Yes. I didn't know what the Wilhelm scream was until I met Justin. And then this son of a bitch told me what the Wilhelm scream was. And then I can never not hear it in yes. every movie that it's in. I'm like, use yeah. of this, of this needs to stop. It's We're an inside joke. It's not, it, it's not, there's nothing to it. It's, an, it's a dumb inside joke. Yeah. It let's let's put an end to it. It's not funny yes. anymore, Danny. It's Tell, not. you know, people call him up and say, call, call, Paul, call Mr. Hollywood, call yeah, Dr. Very, Hollywood and tell the, him the it's Wilhelm over. The Wilhelm scream is a very elitist, yucky thing. I do not like it. It's an inside joke. It doesn't serve the story. It doesn't serve the yeah. audience. It serves the fuckers making the movie. It gets yeah. $8 million. Dollars. I, I, I hate the Wilhelm scream. Yeah. I'm dumb. like, what? Oh, you you can't have one scream. person re-record and go, ah! And then just use that instead? I mean, come on. Like, Fuck it's awful. Scream. Fuck yeah. that scream. Amen. It's I'm with so you. Pretentious. Yeah, so it's pretentious. It's dumb. It's dumb. It's I annoying. Wanna, I want to clip this portion of the podcast where you just screamed, and <laughs> Drew and I are going to use that scream in every film that we do from this date forward. There we go. Yes. They're like, this doesn't really seem yeah. to fit, but I'm like, yeah. whatever. It works. No, it's an it, inside it's joke. Scream. Yeah. Like, not to be a purist, but it's disrespecting yourself because it didn't come out of that your, your universe that you're trying to create. No. I mean, like, are, do these guys take themselves seriously or not? I guess yeah. not. You know, yeah. fuck them. Yeah, the, the amount of times that I've heard it, it just it aggravates me every single time because I'm like, I, I can't, like, my yeah. ears are tuned to it now. I hear it and I'm like, God, why? Yes. You've taken yeah, me out of the moment. Like, you bastard. Right, give me another one. Give me another right. one. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's think of a, another trope. What, what, is, what is another common trope? I should have looked this up. Uh, movie trope. Yeah, I was just... <laughs> Right, here we go. 35 tropes and how to avoid them in screenwriting. Did oh, you write boy. this, Danny? Did you write this? Okay. No, no. Here we go. Trope word is not in my, <laughs> not in my I don't know how good this is going to be, but it's like the, uh, number one examples of movie tropes aliens. Anytime there's aliens in a the movie, they always want to invade Earth. By Earth, they mean America. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really funny. That's really funny. That's really See, that's funny. how I understood tropes a little bit more. Was that it was almost more uh, based like thematically, like yeah. like when aliens in invade, they for whatever reason, you know, or just like the NASA hearings that we had. Right. Uh, yeah. It's you know for I, some reason they're only showing up over Nevada. Yeah, they're only showing up over restricted military airspace. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. See, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm. I'm either in or out before I even realize it's a trope. Like yeah. if it's good, mm. if it's good and it's got me, I don't care if it's a trope. And if it's yeah. bad and it doesn't have me, I don't care if it's original. Yeah. So I, right. so I don't even know. Like I they never catch you. It never occurred to me that aliens are always trying to invade America. That never <laughs> <laughs> and it's so true. 
Yeah. But all my film students who are just smarter than me and more critical, they they all know what you're talking about. I'm just I miss it because all I'm looking for are the tears. Where can sure. I try? Right. Well, okay, here's the thing. If it's a good story and it's like I can look at a thing in this instance by instance, I think where it becomes a problem is you see what's happening. You're like, I know what's going to happen because I've seen this a million times before. Like the next one, it says undead. Never, ever turn your back on the bad guy you killed. Odds are he'll magically survive that bullet to the chest and make yeah. you pay for it in three, yeah. two, one. Yeah, there's the idiocy trope, like the dumbass bullshit. Why would they do that trope? Right. Yeah. That's that's offensive to me. Yeah. Give us one more, Doug. What's another good Here one? Here we on go. List? <laughs> There's this is just cool. Walking away from an explosion, right? I mean, that's just awesome. Nothing <laughs> says awesome. you're a, a macho action hero like silently walking away from a giant explosion. <laughs> it was obviously so, so cool the first time that they've done it a million times after that. I love that. Who doesn't yeah. love that? Why? Well, if you're making fun of that, maybe you need to look in the mirror. I don't right? know what's wrong with that trope. I love that. I just recently watched uh, Terminator 2, and I'm like, they have an awesome explosion in that. I'm like, ah, you know yeah. what? He can survive this because he's a Terminator, you know? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it happened yeah. in Wolverine Origins, Doug. Right, exactly. it sure did. <laughs> By that argument, you could say, like, falling in love is a trope, and we shouldn't have it because it's happened before. Like, fuck that. Walking away from an explosion is cool. That's yeah. what I say. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I like this one, too. Uh, Age-old wisdom. Everybody knows that the wisest characters are also usually the oldest. And yeah, they're also probably I, I a man trope. with a long beard and glasses. I love that trope. I don't mind it because it's true. Because our grandparents are the archetypal wise characters in all our stories. My grandparents so of aren't wise. They're going to be. <laughs> nope. Generally, generally <laughs> the, 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 the wise person. I don't know your family history, <laughs> but I love that trope because it, it fits. Because it reminds you when you're watching, like, oh, this this feels natural. Because it would be yeah. my grandmother who would show up and and just give me this little piece of wisdom before dying, it, like that feels right. So it makes sense too because it's not to say that wisdom can't come from youth, right? I just think it's rare because they haven't experienced yeah. what other people. I've been around forty years. My daughter's like, "How are you so good at that?" I'm like, "I've had forty years to practice. That's why. That's, right. That's why yeah. I know how to do this. Exactly. You will also get there too at some point in time. That's why yeah. so, you know this is actually really interesting because you know archetypes and story types. A lot of people come to me when they're they're, they're trying to write their first stories and they they feel a desire to be original because they want to, don't want to be accused of using tropes or I archetypes yep. or common stories. And I always say to them, like, if it's a good story, man, it'll be original if you make it your own, but it's okay to tell a love story. It's okay to tell a revenge story. It's okay to tell an alien invasion story. Just be original about it. Like, yeah. and, 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 and it fucks people up because they don't write good work because they're so concerned about being original that they get away from the basic stories that move us. They're like seven or eight stories that move us consistently every time. Yeah. All our favorite movies are like seven or eight different stories. Revenge, love, security, uh, Heroes whatever. Journey. Yeah. Heroes Journey, yeah. Heroes Journey, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so tropes can be f pretty important. Yeah, I agree. Um, Except for the scream. Fuck <laughs> it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, do an, I'll do another one here. The scene. A person returns home to find an eerie silence in the, the front door ajar. The action? They inevitably always wander inside and ask, Hello? Only to end up murdered. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't bother me. I like that one. Because I would do that. I would do that probably. <laughs> Oh, that's so good. I love that. I I, I, that someone brought that up on another podcast where they were like, why is it that people are, they, they, they've been kidnapped, they wake up, they're in a dark room, and what's the first thing they say? Hello? Yeah. As to, if, me, it's hi. to me, if, 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 if someone's talking about that, then they're not in the story. If yeah. they even notice that that's yeah. a trope, then they're not into why is the character 
where they're at and why are they at and what, do they really have no choice but to walk in there or not? And did the storyteller create a situation where it's believable that they would walk in there even though it might be dangerous? So, like, I'm already gone if they haven't done that right. Yeah. So right. I don't even notice if it's a trope. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Um, also, terrible henchmen. You know, great villains require great henchmen. So why is it they often can't even hit the broadside of a barn, a.k.a. stormtroopers in Star Wars? You know, uh, but also the, I think that's also mechanics, right? Because... I- that's poor onboarding is what it is. <laughs> you know what? That's that's an HR and training yeah. issue is what that Obviously, is. they did not get the, the pamphlet. Yeah. Yeah. They, they were not paying attention. Um, you know, I don't think they, they, they recruited a bunch of temps, you know, that were just, you know, they didn't treat them right. And uh, that's how it goes, you know? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Analyzing tropes is kind of like being like a wine connoisseur. Like, okay. Like, there's these people who just love wine. They get drunk with their families. They live a great life and they're happy. And then there's the rest of... <laughs> The, the people who like sit around discussing whether it's good or bad. And it's like, you, well, you're missing the whole fucking point. I love it. I, Danny, I'm going to say this and I mean this. I love you, man. <laughs> like, I love your perspective on this because yeah. while some of this stuff does irk me because I, because when I see the situation, I know the outcome and I don't want to, I want to be surprised um, yeah. in some of those situations. But for the most part, I'm with you. Like I've always said, if you tell a good story, I'm going to forgive so much or I'm not going to acknowledge, but if you take me out of the story, yeah. I'm going to be, I, then I start focusing on other things. But yeah. if, I'm, if I'm engrossed and I'm into it, I'm like, I love it. I hate the people that are like, did you see in this scene there was a continuity error? I'm like, I don't fucking care. Unless it's, right. or did you see that part in, in Gladiator where the cart falls over and the thing comes off and you can see that there's like a tank in there that <laughs> like, was there. I'm yeah. like, who fucking cares? <laughs> who has no. the balls to not gladiator? Who has the fucking balls? Who is that person? Yeah. You share? Yeah. Hey, Scott. There's <laughs> <laughs> just like, uh, there's a up. part where there's an umbrella that I'm like, who fucking, I didn't notice. I don't I give a notice. shit. I was like, too busy being mesmerized by <laughs> Russell Crowe in this amazing fucking story. too busy watching <laughs> these guys kill each other in an arena, you know? Like, right. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was too busy being entertained. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I Ooh, think the nice. people, I, yeah, hate, I see what you I, did there. Sorry, yeah, I, I got that, you. Yeah. You know what? I, I was talking. I didn't hear it. Now I got it. I'm there. I'm with you. Nice. Excellent. Well, I like that we've covered these tropes and things like that. But what's more important, you're talking about arenas. You're talking about gladiatorial battle. I think there's only one way to solve this. When you have two things that enter into an arena and only one can leave, it can only be settled with a throwdown. Love it. Love it. Welcome to the throwdown. That's right. Danny, if you we're open for suggestions if you wanna, you know, compose something for so, the throwdown theme. We're all so here, we're I have here for no it. idea where this is going, so give me just an example and then I'll and then I'll join in. No problem. We'll give you the whole rundown with how this works. So Justin and I this used to be a regular thing we did on the podcast every week, and it got to the point where we got so tired of trying to find something to to compete with each other that we started like taking breaks from it. And this was like the perfect opportunity to bring it back. So the throwdown is two things come together. In a fight to the death. In the past, it's been mostly comic booky things like Superman versus the Hulk. But other mm. times, it can be more esoteric, like Groot versus Hodor in a debate. You know uh, who would win a debate? Or yeah. it could be like your fifty-year-old self versus your twenty-five-year-old self. Things okay. of that nature. And so gotcha. the idea is we break down each component, each each sort of player or character or thing in here. We'd be like, all right, based on a scenario where they had to fight each other, who yes. would win and why? Yes. And I, I remember this now because because we we talked about this originally where you were like okay would Jim from the Marksman beat 
the Liam Neeson character from Taken. Yeah. Yeah, who would win that? Who would win that? And so, that, yeah. That's an easy one for me, though. <laughs> okay, well, what is it? So, so the Liam Neeson character in Taken would win, but you would love the Liam Neeson character. For, you'd love Jim from The Marksman because, like, he didn't deserve to die, and he fought valiantly, and he just, life was too hard on him, so he died. And he got his blicks in, but ultimately he got defeated by life. And that's, that's Jim's story. Taken, dude, that dude's never going to lose anything in life. <laughs> Well, I mean, he lost his daughter for a little bit before he got her back. So, I mean, you know, her back, yeah. whose fault is yeah, that? The, he yeah, keeps just, losing things. That's why there's so many <laughs> movies. Keep, people keep yeah. taking things from him. Yeah, but, that, but then they come back. That's a really good, fair point. But then he gets them back. And so he's never, like, in, never in that movie is he going to, like, be, like, broken down in a bar drinking, like, man, I fucked up my life. Right. You know? That's actually a really does. fair point. I think, obviously, he has a very specific set of skills and things like that. He's, and he has a specific set of skills. Jim, Jim from The Marksman, he had a specific set of skills, and he still tries to pull them out. But he's, he's an old guy who's really sweet, and, you know, he just happens to be like, you know, Bruce, Bruce uh, like the Hulk. Like, he's, yeah. he's made mad, and so he's got to fight. Or, like, in Unforgiven, yeah. Clint Eastwood's character, like, is like, I got to pull out the, the can of whoop-ass now. I right. haven't opened yeah. it in a long yeah. time. Right. Yeah. But the thing with Jim, though, I mean, Jim's no slouch. I mean, he's a uh, <clears throat> Marine he's Corps vet, you know, three yeah. tours. I mean, the guy the guy knows how to fire a rifle. I mean, that's he, he evidently clear. He can think on clear. his feet. Right. Yeah. If he can put some distance between himself and Taken. Actually, you know, you're not wrong. He could yeah. be taking Liam Neeson if there's if it's a sniper fight. Right. Because because right. this always comes down to also the setting. Right. Like yeah. if Jim has an awareness or at least has some distance, you know what I mean? Like on, yeah. you know, the you know, I guess it's Brian Mills from Taken. I don't know the character that well, but it's, you know. Is we'll say Liam Neeson taken. I think that's better. Um, you know, what does that character have at their disposal, like weapon-wise? You know, I know he obviously has some good hand-to-hand combat and things like that. Maybe that's superior to Jim's. I don't know. But if it's got distance, I mean, Jim's crack Jim, shot. You're right. You know, you're right. So, like, no, let's just, say hypothetically, you know, Jim, you know, uh, is put in the same position he was in the film, where he's got this this you know boy that's been put in his his, his care. But the cartel hires ah. taking Liam Neeson to go after and bring the boy back. So now oh. Jim's, gonna, Jim's in real trouble. <sighs> Justin, what a great, what a great scenario. That is a great scenario. So that would be a really fun story to tell. Really fun. And it's funny because he calls it. He gives the whole speech to Jim yeah. as Liam Neeson. He's, He's like, you've yeah. taken something from me. I'm going to find you. <laughs> but here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Jim would just be sitting out going as as Liam's on the cell phone giving that speech. Jim's just finding him in the field and like clicking in. He's like, yeah. all right, go but ahead. Also, finish your speech. But also Jim is going like, oh, I am so fucked. <laughs> He's a realist. He's a realist. He's a total. The Marksman is an incredibly real story. Yeah. Yeah. It's heartbreakingly real. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I, I've never played this game before, but I'm thinking of the Hulk and the Juggernaut. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. What happens okay. when an immovable so, force? No brainer for me. Yeah. Juggernaut yeah. wins. It's just scientifically impossible to stop the Juggernaut. What do you guys think? That's true. I think, look, if his, if his whole thing is that once he gets going, he can't be stopped. And if he it's stops, physics. you can't get him going. Like, doesn't matter how strong the Hulk is. Can you it's find physics. a way? What if the Hulk busts the ground and Juggernaut like runs down? You know what I mean? And like, you know what I'm saying? Like he, he to does. The core? To the core? Maybe. I mean, is that how that works? I don't know how that the is. Rule, but. The rules of Juggernaut's universe 
are are more powerful than the rules of the Hulk's universe. There's okay. a world where the Hulk has a beating heart that dies. And it's like, sure. You know. Now here's here's an here's another one, Juggernaut versus the Blob, because the Blob is a character from the from the also X Men universe who is essentially the antithesis to Juggernaut in that he can make himself weigh so much and be so fat that he can't be moved. Oh, I'm sorry, so the Juggernaut uh, can be moved. I thought it, I thought he possessed both. That's right. Juggernaut is just, he can't be stopped once right. he gets motion starts going, right? Yeah. So That's if right. the Blob uses his mutant power and the Juggernaut's running towards the Blob, it's literally... It's a, it, it's a wash. It's, it's it's an immovable no object meets an unstoppable force. Yeah, like, there you go. It's like, it's like two great tennis players and they're just like, oh, fuck this, let's go drink. That's right. right. It's like, why do this? Or as a yeah. former yeah. guest said, ah, oh, they'd probably yeah, just fuck. Yeah, it's not good. You know? It, it's not a good one. We, we, need, we need it some more imbalance. That's the that's <laughs> So, but... Like Hannibal Lecter versus... Like Hannibal Lecter versus someone... Oh, who would he be good against? He's so good. Uh, um, the Joker. Brian Cranston. <laughs> Brian Cranston. Just Brian Cranston, oh, the no, actor. Oh, no, the Joker. That's better. The, best, yeah, <laughs> the, the Joker. <laughs> Hannibal Lecter versus the Joker. Yeah. Who wins that one? That's interesting. They're, they're both really brilliant. They're very brilliant. They, while they can be physical, they're not known for their physicality, <clears throat> but they can be physical. They both yeah. play head games. And crazy head games. I think the Joker wins, in my opinion, because he's got the chaos level. That's yeah, true. He's just, yeah, he, he's yeah. just unhinged enough where you're like, he not even he really knows what he's going to do next. And I but think he does. I don't think Hannibal is is refined and is intellectual. See, Hannibal thrives. Uh, they Hannibal's both thrive. See it coming. Hannibal's going to analyze what the Joker did before the Joker even thought of it, and he's going to know what's coming. But the thing is, I think they're both good at dealing with people who live in a lawful world because they'd like to take that world and turn it on themselves. But when they deal with people who are not like that, who are their own chaos, I think that maybe takes their abilities and it puts a hindrance on them because now the Joker is dealing. I feel like Hannibal would struggle with the Joker because I, I think so, Hannibal would trick us all. I think he'd be ahead of all of us. Even interesting. The Joker. That's interesting. Yeah, Hannibal's my guy on this one. Yeah, well, I mean, Hannibal's my guy. Period. I mean, he's my he's my he's my role model. You know. Yeah, yeah. So back to the original throwdown <laughs> between <laughs> the marksman uh, Liam Neeson and taken Liam Neeson. Yes. We're saying if you run it through a simulation, the majority times. of the time. Yeah. Actually, I think yeah. it's fifty-fifty. Run it through a simulation. I don't know what it's. It, it could go both ways. It really depends on the circumstances. It I could. feel like because Jim's of marksman taking Liam Neeson has i think more relevant experience in in his activities and i think jim like you said has baggage i think because yeah. of that that might give taking liam neeson an edge it but depends on the situation I agree. if it's close quarters if it's close quarters yeah. jim is dead yes if it's far away think about how many times a sniper could have Taken Liam Neeson out and taken had they just been smart enough to absolutely yeah. that's a goddamn yeah. good point. God yeah, damn it, so Danny. that's one of those awesome chess simulations where it's like, yeah, half the time wins, half the time loses. Oh man, that's so good. That's so good. But in yeah, no, that's a good one. That's a yeah. great one. But I, if, I, they, like, if they were at the MMA gym, if they were at the <laughs> MMA like like yes. the UFC octagon, like younger gyms whooping ass for sure. Yeah. I'd say be, I feel like taking Liam Neeson is adaptable to so many other situations where I feel like Jim needs a specific scenario to have the upper hand. So I think because yeah. of that, I'm going to give it to Liam yeah, Neeson. Yeah, he's, he's got the edge. He's got the edge. He's got the edge. All right, so we're going to be a dog fight. 
But I think in most yeah. situations he's got yeah. the edge. Yeah. We're gonna say take it away. <laughs> Thank you so much for playing that with us, Danny. It's been a oh, while. Oh, that's so fun. And, and and talking about Liam Neeson is like one of my favorite pastimes because <laughs> I I I love some men. Mm-hmm. Like I love my father. There's some men who are like my camp counselors who I really love. I love Liam Neeson. Like I love that man. That's I awesome. loved him before I even worked with him. Yeah. Like I worked with him. I wrote a script that he he did. But like <laughs> It, 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 he, you know, like I worked with him. Yeah, I talked with him on set. Like, hi, Liam, I love you. Uh, <laughs> but, like, I love that guy in, in, in all the stuff he did before he even did my movie. And then when I met him, he turned out to be a really nice, sweet man, too. That's I the best. That it's got to be the best. Yeah. You're like, oh, thank God you're not a dick. It could have been Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner was right. supposed to, to write. Ooh. He was supposed to direct and star in the movie. That's how the movie ultimately got uh, financing. And then Kevin Costner wow. dropped out of it because he was going to go do some stupid TV show called Yellowstone. <laughs> and, it, and, and it won't go anywhere. And then he'll come back in six months and he'll make the marksman. And the producer's like, no, nah, I don't think he's going to be back. Let's get someone else. And But if it had oh. been Kevin Costner, it might have been totally different. Because I don't know Kevin personally. I don't think he's as nice. I don't think anyone's as nice as Liam Neeson. Wow, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm 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 still processing the idea of Kevin Costner potentially well, doing that. that. I'm like, be, he would yeah. have also been a very good pick, but for different reasons. And yeah, yeah he would. Wow. He's good. I love Kevin Costner. Very love cool. Love Kevin Costner. And this is the thing I love. I love this inside shit. Where okay, like you know you want to you want to know something else? That's inside great baseball. That I'm gonna pull back from the beginning. So Chris Charles, he was always thinking. I'm gonna I'm like beating up on Chris on this. Podcast. Beat up on it's him. So wrong of me. But he's like my wife. He's like my partner. I, I never get to make fun of him <laughs> to other people. He was so provincial in his thinking. Ed Harris? Fuck that. <laughs> Ed Harris is the $5 million version of this movie. It's yeah. Liam Neeson or Kevin Costner. But Chris is always so pragmatic. He was like, we just got to get it done, man. It, it, it can be, it doesn't have, you know, it, I was like, it's Jeff Bridges or we die. That's know? why you guys Another work well one. together, you know? Yeah, you're pushing each well other. Together. You know, he yeah, pulls I'm, you back I'm, a little bit when you need to, and you're like, no, no, we got to go forward. Yeah, I'm out yeah. of control, dreamer. He's out of control conservative. I love it. I love it. That's so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now it's the part of the show where we get to uh, recommendations. So this is the part where okay. anything you've been watching, uh, reading, listening to, anything that you think our listeners, our audience should absolutely check out, um, this is an opportunity for you to share that. Um, okay. Yeah. Could so be anything? Anything. 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 Okay. So I mentioned this earlier. I just listened to the audiobook of Elton John's biography. It's called, I think it's called Me. Um, and it's, it's, if, you're, if you are interested in music and, and, and the music of the 70s and the 80s and just the whole rock scene and, and Elton John in particular, if you like his music, it's a brilliantly uh, uh, illuminate, illuminating book. It's so good. It's so unbelievably good. And I listened to it. And then every album he was talking about making, I would listen to the album. I listened to it on a long road trip. So I would listen to the whole album and then go back to the book. And so I learned a lot about him. And I learned a lot about Brian Cranston from Brian Cranston's autobiography uh, that I just listened to as a book on tape also. Those are the two most recent ones. And Brian Cranston is another one where, like, that dude is the hardest working man in show business. And he didn't have all this natural talent. He nurtured his he, – mm. he, like, built his craft up. And, and hearing his story, like, if you're an artist and you want to know the artist's way – Listen to Brian, read Brian Cranston's biography. That dude was committed. And he, I mean, he didn't make it until he was in his 40s. And yeah. even then, you know, he, after Malcolm in the Middle was over, he was 50. He had nothing. And then wow. he, he, you know, he could have easily just gone back to acting, teaching or whatever. Like he, that, and he's so good. Such but a great he, actor. He yeah. he, it's a, and he's a beautiful human being. Like those are two great biographies. If you like pop culture. 
Adventure. That's so yeah. cool. Great Love recommendations. It. Okay, Justin. I got another recommendation. Go for it. Toto. The band Toto. <laughs> okay. Okay. The song Rosanna yes. has this incredible drum groove shuffle that to this day hypnotizes me. And and I was listening to Toto the other day on Spotify and all their songs came up and I was like, these guys are just better musicians than most of the human beings that have ever walked the earth. <laughs> I and love Toto it. Is, Toto is the greatest band. There you go, gang. And there's, there's a few more songs than you realize that, that you know by them, too. Everyone's <laughs> just like, Africa, okay. But yeah, like Rosanna, there's, you're, you're just like, oh, that was Toto. All too. I want to okay. do when I wake up in the morning is see your eyes. <laughs> Come on! Get with the I program. Mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so fun. I love it. That's excellent. Great recommendations. Um, I, I will I will go back to though I think I think um uh Homeland is the greatest TV show that's ever been made and next to uh Game of Thrones and Breaking Bad. I think those three are the best TV series ever. All right. I like it. I like it. Very cool. Yeah. Justin, Game of Thrones is in a world of its own. Justin, what do you got to recommend? I'm going to shamelessly recommend uh, that you all watch The Marksman uh, wherever you can find it. And then uh, when this book comes out, read this book. So I'm going to recommend The Marksman in any form that you can get it. Amen. I brother. appreciate that. Thank Doug, what do you got? That. Uh, I would second that, and I'd also say if you're looking for a very entertaining and introspective podcast with comedians, uh, the Blocks podcast with Neil Brennan is one of my new favorite podcasts. Neil Brennan's a fantastic comedian, and he has other comedians on where they talk about the blocks in their life, the things that give them anxiety, that get in their way. And it's been such a great experience listening to these people who I find absolutely hilarious, who are also like, yeah, no, I have really high anxiety where I think that um, I'm working all the time because I think the money, it will go away at any point in time. And I'm hearing this person, I'm like, you are a highly, highly successful person. I don't know what you're talking about. And just hearing them talk about these real issues that they're dealing with is absolutely endlessly fascinating to me. So highly recommend check that. Check it out. Everyone check it out. So check that out. Check that out. So Danny, before we go, yeah. please yeah. let everyone know where they can find you. When does the marksman come out for people to read? Where should they yes. find all the stuff you've worked on? Please uh, let everybody know what's up. Okay, cool. So the marksman book is coming out in earnest on Monday, the 27th or 28th of this month. So it's this coming up Monday, uh, August 27th or 28th. You can buy, you can pre-order it now and you can get the Kindle version for 99 cents if you buy it now, but then it's like 18 bucks. Uh, the heart, the paperback copy, and you can get it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Goodreads, all the all the online retailers. It'll be in some stores, but it'll mostly be online. Um, and the Marksman movie right now, I think it's on Tubi. Uh, so that's how you would watch that. And then the the fun thing that that I get to do is like like if you look up DannyKravitz.com or Danny Kravitz on Spotify or Danny Kravitz Music, like you'll see all my books and all my music and all my other shit. And like TikTok, Danny Kravitz, like my TikTok, Danny Kravitz music on TikTok, I sing opera. Like it oh, just, shit. yeah, like I, every, every shameless thing you could think of, I do. And some of it, like, and I explain how I wrote certain songs and how I came to, to the lyrics and, and yeah. like, and, you know, it's really self-indulgent, but um, some of it's pretty good. I like nice. it. We just we just followed you on TikTok, so we'll be catching that stuff. Oh, thank so you. I'm looking forward yeah, yeah. to it. Yeah, there's like a thirty thousand, forty thousand dollar view. The forty thousand views of me singing Nelson Dorma, like that. that you know, that, it's, that is fun. <laughs> I love it. So everyone, please go check out the Marksman. Available uh, at the time that this is coming out. You know, video wise, it'll be in a couple of days. Audio wise, it's out today. So 
Go check that shit out. Uh, go pick it up. Support Danny. Support all his stuff. Follow him. He's a wonderful human. He's the best. And I'm, it's been so great getting to chat with you. Uh, Danny, yeah, this is fun. This is so great. Uh, real quick, so you guys can check us out at uh, youtube.com slash podcast for all of our video content. Uh Hit the like, hit the subscribe button, all that good stuff. Videos come out on Friday. Audio version comes out on Mondays. So check all that out. Uh, check the description for a link to our Discord. Check out links to our merch at redbubble.com. And check out patreon.com slash podcast for all that stuff. And be sure to follow Justin as well. On Instagram at Justin underscore Michael, spelled M-I-K-E-L. It's the fun way of spelling it. And while you're in the online realm, any place where you can find and consume quality podcasts, you'll be able to find us. Go ahead and hit the subscribe button, rate, review, all the things, and also share us around. That's the only way people are going to know we exist. Sharing is caring, and we appreciate it. TweeState.com and TweeState on all social media. And then LoveAndImprovFilm.com and LoveAndImprovFilm on Twitter. Or Instagram, sorry. Yeah, Fuck don't Twitter. say Twitter. You can't say yeah. that anymore. How dare you? Uh, well, once again, Danny, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, I, I we got to have you back on at some point because anytime uh, I love was, it. I love it. I miss I, this kind of fun stuff. I, I feel like we just scratched the surface on so yeah. many cool things. I do and too. We could I, talk about a lot of shit. Oh my god, this would be so cool! And thank you for all <laughs> the inspiring and insightful stuff. This is this has been so fun. Yeah. You're the best. Well, we no, appreciate it was fun. you. It was fun for me. I'm so glad you guys invited. Awesome. Absolutely. With that being said, uh, Justin, thank you. Douglas, thank you. All our listeners and viewers, thank you. And you all have a dandy fucking week. Mind Gap Podcast.